welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Stunningly, strikingly, and wonderfully, stupendously beautiful people of Hatfield. Okay, like, come on. There, there is such a thing as an adjective, and we need to use it. But it's, it's so, so good to be sharing a bit of word with you guys this morning as we continue in our journey through the Book of Acts. And as you guys will remember, it's called Tales from the Table. Tales from the Table, the sermon series that we're in. And you guys will see that we're going to be spending a little bit of time in Acts 17 this morning. So you guys can turn there so long if you've got your Bibles with you. But really what we're looking at today is what it means to witness from a place of surrender, a place where our hearts and our minds are totally surrendered and gripped by God. So let's jump in, shall we? So we're going to be reading from Acts 17, and it's from verse 16 to about verse 34. It is a bit of a long read, but I'll make it quick. And it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him, and some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Now, that's not what you want to hear from people <laughs> as you share the truth. But others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and they brought him to the Areopagus and, uh, and said, may we learn about this new teaching that you're presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live under the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his 
offspring. Since then, we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, Jesus. He's provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear again about this. So, so Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them and others with them. So, I needn't tell you that when we come to Christ, it changes everything. It changes everything. And no one knew this better than Paul, who's busy preaching this word in Athens. And, and really, it's not just that we've changed inwardly. It's not just a renovation. It is literally a total remodel of who we are. That phrase, in him we live and we move and we have our being. It's a whole new way of seeing absolutely everything, a new way of seeing culture and, and a new way of seeing government and our workplace and, and our neighborhood and the city that we live in. And, and while your Christianity is a deeply, deeply personal thing, the one thing it should never become is entirely private. It should never become entirely private. So many religions are about your personal experience with your deity and, and what that looks like. But Christianity is not that. It, it, it may start there. It may start with some experience of who God is. But it's got to move beyond that. It's, it's got to affect everything we come into contact with. The way we engage with society, with other people, with cultures, music, the arts. It's all different because of what Jesus has done in us. And a natural outworking of that inward change is a desire for others to know that Jesus. That is a, a, a normal outworking of it. So Athens, this place that Paul finds himself in, it was the intellectual capital of the world at that point. So all of the wisest people, all of the philosophers, all of the people that were, were coming up with new culture and, and new trends were there. And they were in that marketplace. And, and the marketplace at that point was called the Agora. And I've put a picture up. That's what it looks like today. It's probably not what it looked like in its heyday. But really, it was this gathering place or center of the athletic, the artistic, the business, the social, the spiritual, and the political life in the city. Everyone gathered in this marketplace. And, and really, the ancient Agora it was the primary meeting ground for Athenians. And, and it's where members of democracy congregated affairs of state, where business was conducted. It was a place to hang out and, and watch performers. It was a place where people listened to philosophy. And, and this was where Paul chose to take the gospel. This is where he chose to take the gospel. He could have headed only for the religious places because in our scripture today it actually says he did go to the religious places, but every day he went into the marketplace. Every day he went into this marketplace. And he knew that it was one of three marketplaces that existed in the world at that time that had a profound effect on society as a whole. So, so what was taught and conducted in that space literally changed the face of the world. 
So my question is, what is your marketplace? What is the space that God has given you? What is your place of influence that God has given you in your life? And what does it look like to take your faith into that space? As a society, we've come to believe that faith is a very private thing, haven't we? Um, we, you can worship whatever you want for as long as you want, as long as it doesn't encroach on someone else's right to worship whatever they want. And, and if you found what brings you joy and peace, that's great. You go do that, but please keep it to you yourself. But Paul knows something, and that's why he comes to this marketplace. He knows that if there's a God, and there is, and, and if that God made everything there is, and he did, then God is God over everything, from the bathhouse to the temple to the marketplace to the theater to that workplace that you're struggling in. He is God over everything. And however hard people try, he cannot and should not be confined only to the areas that we deem safe. So he lifts up Christianity in this public place, does Paul. Why? Because Jesus is for everyone. He's for everyone. He's for every part of life, for every setting, for every cultural group. And he should permeate absolutely everything. The way we work, the way we participate in sport, the movies we watch, all of it. If we're in Christ, that should permeate every single part of our heart and our mind. All of it. But we live in an age of cancel culture, don't we? We do. Um, people are waiting to cancel us the minute we say something that's a little bit, uh, you know, makes them a little bit uncomfortable. And, and really, it's become less and less popular to take a faith stance of any kind or, or to speak out against anyone's choice to follow whatever path they wish. And, and just yesterday, I was scrolling through Instagram. I know, whoo, I'm on social media. Um, but um, I know many of you have sort of jumped that ship. Um, but but uh, I'm on social media, so I was scrolling through and I was looking at this one guy's profile and, and he was sharing a bit of life advice. Um, he's like a personal trainer slash coach slash whatever. Everyone's got a slash these days. And, uh, and he's sharing a little bit of life advice and somebody says, you know what, I'd love to hear what you have to say about religion. And his response to that person was this. He said, I'd rather not speak about that because the last time I spoke about that, I lost 300 followers. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, so what? <laughs> but at the same time, I, I think that's the reality, isn't it? It's, it's the minute some of us share our faith. It's not always going to be easy or popular. And I can guarantee you, and we see it in the scripture today, it wasn't easy for Paul to share in every circle. And not everybody took up what he had to say. There are many voices out there. And how many of us can relate to just this idea of maybe shying away from sharing our faith? Perhaps we've had opportunities to speak up for our faith or share some of what Jesus has done in us, and we've just ended up chickening out because, you know what, once it's out there, it's out there. There's no taking it back. You can't necessarily un-Christian yourself in a public space. And and really, if you're looking for a step-by-step -step guide, because I know that's all we want here this morning, is we want the step-by-step -step guide for how to perfectly share our faith in the places that are not faith spaces, don't we? And, and we want to know, is there something in Scripture that says, you know what, follow these five steps and you will win every time. That would be great. And I'd love if I could share that with you today, but I can't. 
But what the scripture is clear about and what we find in especially today's scripture is, is a clue to what our heart and our mind need to look like if we ever hope to witness for Jesus with any measure of success. So I hope it, it, as we unpack today and we look a little bit at what Paul's experience was, I hope that it ministers to us in terms of what posture do we take as we go to share our faith in the difficult spaces. I've had conversations with some of you where you've said, you know what, you don't know what my workplace is like. It's toxic and it's unhealthy and it's not a great space and, and it's really hard for me to go into that space and share any part of my faith and and I wish I had the perfect recipe for every workplace. And, and the reality is that's why there, aren't an eight, there is not an 18-step plan in Scripture because each of us finds ourselves in a different context. But what I do have is the life of Paul, and that we can look at today. So let's unpack today's Scripture a little bit and try to see what Paul saw, feel what he felt, and take a look at what he did with what he saw and what he felt. So Paul finds himself in this city, and, and it's just filled, filled with idols. And everywhere he looks, there's a statue to someone or something else. So many gods, and, and he saw idols under everything. There was nothing happening in this city that he, he sort of didn't see an idol attached to. And the word for see here in the Greek is theoreo, which means to theorize, to get underneath. And, and he realized that underneath the art the business, government, philosophy, under all of these things, there were idols. Good things that had become objects of worship. Good things that had become objects of worship. And, and Paul understood the truth that we're all worshiping something. Whether you're in God or not, whatever your life looks like, there's something you're worshiping. For most of us, more than one thing. And, and we've all got idols in our lives. So believe it or not, I was on a treadmill earlier this week. Um, I do, Jim. Um, and it wasn't a New Year's resolution. So, so I, I, I love just putting on a podcast and going on the treadmill. And, and really, I was listening to this sermon. And I wish I could tell you what sermon it was. I should probably go into my history. But there was this preacher, and he asked the following questions. So you can imp- imagine this. There I am going, you know, 30 kilometers an hour on the treadmill. No, no I'm kidding. Um, but, but there I am. I'm on the treadmill. Um, I'm, I'm working out. And I'm, uh, you, know, you know, have you ever just wanted to put on a podcast and numb out and just listen to something fluffy and feel good and and just enjoy your time. Let the endorphins come as you exercise. Well, I'm doing that and I'm listening to this guy preach and all of a sudden he says this thing. He says, what is that thing that if you lose it, you won't want to live anymore? What is that thing you cannot live a day without? Because those things are idols. And he says this thing, and man, what a jerk. (laughs) That preacher's a jerk, because I just wanted to listen to fluffy sermon and get endorphins. And and then he goes and he wrecks me right there in the gym. Because I I had to go and think about that. What is that thing? Let me ask you today. Let me come from left field and ask you. What is that thing that if you lose it, you will no longer want to live? What is that thing you cannot live a day without? And maybe you're here and you're going, no, 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 Um, I worship Jesus. I have no idols in my life. Well, I'm going to list for you some of what was being worshipped in Athens at the time. And, And maybe if I do, 
you'll, you'll ring true to a couple of these things and how important they are in your life. Um, so I just looked up some Greek gods and goddesses, and, uh, and here's what was being worshipped by the Athenians. They worshipped beauty and adornment. They worshipped good health. They worshipped curing illness. They worshipped being unconquerable. They worshipped warding off calamity and despair. They worshipped love and beauty. They worshipped procreation. They worshipped music, prophecy, healing, war, conflict, hunting, wild animals, childbirth, children. They worshipped good counsel, heroic endeavor, force, poetry, intellect, joy, beauty, dancing, feasts, drink, fame, success, renown, strength, power, fear, agriculture, justice, wine, wild vegetation, labor pains of all things, peace, sexual desire, good order, merriment, flowery pastures, harmony, creativity, the stars, herds and flocks, and yes, even the rainbow had its own idol that they worshipped. So my question is, what is yours? As I look to that list, is there something in your life that you know has taken the seat that God should occupy? So here are some of mine. Um, yes, I brought them in a bag because, you know, you should always have your idols handy. Um, <laughs> technology. I grab my phone every morning before I've even kissed my wife or read my Bible. <laughs> Technology is huge in my life. I spend more time than I care to admit on social media. Um, but tech, that's, that's one of the things I keep having to surrender to God because it takes up some of the room uh, for me. Uh, what else do we have here? <laughs> Good coffee. Okay. Um, guys, I can't tell you, when I was preparing this sermon, we had load shedding. Um, and I just said to Maya, all I need to be able to carry on crafting my sermon is a decent cup of coffee. Now, that's not true. Um, but it is something that's huge in our home. Coffee culture is big. Um, I love a good coffee shop. I love coffee. Um, but yeah, so that one can sit here somewhere. How about... My intellect, my brain, I take pride in it. I take pride in the way I think. I take pride in what other people think of me and my ability to reason. Um, what else? Clearly, food. I love food. <laughs> I, um, as I was sitting here, my um, Google Photos popped up with a memory thing that it put together of all my photos. And this one was entitled, Good Food. And it was real upon real of food that I'd made, baked, uh, put together, but food. Food's an idol. Clearly something that I'm still struggling to get under my belt. Haha. Uh, -ha. um, and, and then, of course, weights. Going to the gym, keeping healthy is something that's important to me. And uh, if I don't get to do that, I tend to get grumpy and a little bit unpleasant. And maybe the biggest one in my life, okay, is not stuffed toys. You've got the wrong message, if that's what you're taking away. Um, no, my family. My family are huge. The number of times that they will definitely come first before God, before my time with him, um, is, is just huge in my life. 
And it sounds weird because God gave me my wife and gave me my daughter. But they are an idol because I don't know what I would do if I ever were to lose them. So these are all good things. I think you guys can recognize there's nothing I've put down here that's inherently evil or, or not good. Um, but the issue comes when I place them above God in my heart. They become an idol. I was rocked a couple of weeks ago when just before the end of the year, I got a message that the 17-year-old son of one of our Doxedo pastors had passed away overnight in his sleep. He had epilepsy, and they think he must have had a seizure. And, and really, Maya and I, we were heartbroken for this family. They've already been through so much, and I immediately thought to myself, I don't know what I'd do if I were to lose Maya or if I were to lose Ori. I don't know how I'd be able to go on. And yet this family and the way that they walked out through their grief was very public, because how can you not publicly walk it out when you are leading a church? And they're walking this thing out, and, and on social media, the dad keeps sharing messages, encouraging other parents, encouraging them in their faith walk with their children. And this is in the midst of them just having lost their son. And they walk out this grief, and they send words of encouragement to parents. And the memorial service was actually a time of ministry where this parent was ministering to the people that came to celebrate the life of his 17-year-old son that he had just lost. And there's something about the way all of that played out. I, I don't think there's not a time of wrestling in their lives of why. Why did this happen? I don't think that stuff doesn't exist. But I think there's something beautiful that happens when you see how they play it out. And, and when they declare that as a family, they will keep serving and trusting God no matter what. Does that mean there's never wrestling? No, but what it reveals... Ooh. What the fact that they choose to worship in spite of what they've just gone through reveals is God's place in their life, their mind, and their heart. So the truth is there's only two groups of people when it comes to idols. There's those who are trying to save themselves through an idol, and there are those that are fully surrendered to the love of Jesus. Those are the two groups. Let me tell you, those other gods, those idols, these things that I've mentioned, these things that I've listed, if you fail them, they will never forgive you. And if you worship them, they will never satisfy. Only our God can do that. So there's this beautiful passage in 2 Kings 5, and, and it's the prime minister of Syria, Naaman, or Naaman, as some people say, and, and he's ill, and he wants to be healed, and, and Elisha tells him what to do, and long story short, he is healed, and, and he wants to reward Elisha, and Elisha refuses the reward, and, and that's where we pick up in this scripture, and, and, and Naaman says, if you will not take the reward, please let me be, let me your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon, that was the God they used to serve, to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. 
This exchange reveals the change of heart that happened in Naaman's heart. He is a changed man. He no longer wants to worship this false god that he's been worshiping. His heart now belongs to God. And he asks for this dirt and it's Palestinian soil so that he can go back home and he can build an altar to God and he can worship God at that altar instead of having to enter the temple that he used to go into. And here he comes, and and the reason we can see there's a real change of heart is because the dirt isn't just dirt, it's a witness. It's him taking it away, and and when people ask why he now worships only at the altar he's built, he will tell them. And, And really, we have a choice when we decide to throw off the idols and when we decide to give our hearts fully to God. And the choice is we could run or try to separate ourselves from the life that was before, from our workplace, and create neat little pockets where our faith doesn't overlap and where we keep what has happened in our hearts to ourselves. But but Naaman chooses not to do that. He chooses to say, okay, I'm going to go back and I will be fully devoted to God and I will take my faith with me. We have this choice. And instead of choosing to hide our faith, and instead of choosing to run and keep the truth that we've discovered to ourselves, instead what we declare is this. We declare Christ is my beauty, my glory, my love, the object of my worship, my goodness, my righteousness, my meaning. And now when we go back into the temple, back to our life, what we do is we do, we do things differently. The way we work changes. The way we speak changes. The way we create art or write or the way we are parents changes because we're going back into our world and and visibly in our heart, everything we do, we do for God and God comes first. So now we know if we're going to witness for God, we need to see, as Paul saw, we need to see the idols that exist in our lives, but also in the lives of others. And when we see the things that have swept away the love of other people, we need to have hearts that are burdened for them. The scriptures say it this way. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Deeply distressed. So he reasoned in the synagogue. And that that word, deeply distressed, the word in the Greek is paroxino. And it means, and is essentially translated as being provoked or arousing anger. When was the last time you saw someone trapped in a life of sin or, or trapped in idolatry and it, and it made you angry or it aroused something within you? So I want to tell you this little story. And, and really, it's again about the gym. I'm sorry, I'm still there. But, um, but Maya and I have been spending some good time in the gym lately. One of our favorite things to do is to go to the gym and, and then drop Ori at Club B woo-woo for carers, um, and they watch her, and we go gym. And, and really, the other day, um, yeah, she was approached by this guy in the gym, and, um, and he started to flirt with her. And uh, she wasn't too sure, uh, she wasn't too sure what to do, um, but she sort of went along with it, you know. She was like, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll go along with it. And eventually the guy asked her out. And, and she came over to where I was gymming and, and, and told me. And I, and I did what every husband would do. I said, of course, go. You guys must have a great date. Um, have a great time. 
and they went on this incredible date while I stayed home and watched Ori. Um, so, so um, I think not. Um, for those of you that are confused, this did not happen. Um, first of all, that guy would get a first-hand introduction to lightning and thunder. Okay, this is, but, um, but, but second of all. I would never simply stand by while my wife is wooed away by some chump. She is mine. She's mine. Our God is a jealous God. In Western culture, we've got a very one-dimensional understanding of jealousy, don't we? But there's this thing, there is such a thing as healthy jealousy. And Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, love is not just sweet feelings, but thunderous feelings as well. If you see the one you love in the arms of another, you're going to act, aren't you? Look at the person, those of you who are here with someone, um, look at them and, and think to yourself, what are you going to do if someone's trying to take them from you? Is there not going to be an arousal? Is there not going to be anger in your chest? Those of you who are here alone, stare longingly at whoever you'd like to be here with. No, I'm kidding. Please don't do that. Um, but, but the reality is something should be stirred within us. Sorry, I was about to just collapse something. Something should be stirred within us um, when we see this. If you see uh, really the one you love in the arms of another, you're going to act. Because the opposite of love, friends, is not anger. It is indifference. It's when that person walks away and you don't care. So if we see people in our city, in our workplaces, and yes, in our families, have been swept into the arms of idols and we don't feel anything, then we do not love them. We are indifferent. Make no mistake, God is outraged at the dishonor of us worshiping other things. I mean, he's God and we should be worshiping him, but it's more than that. It's his love for us that fuels his anger. He doesn't want us in the arms of another lover when we should be in his. And there's a word for what Paul feels in this moment. It's called indignation. And it's what we should be feeling when we look in a world filled with false idols and when we see people being stolen away from their true destiny by other lovers. It's this indignation which drives us forward and gives us the courage to speak. Because without that indignation, why would we ever say anything in the marketplace? Why would we ever come into the spaces that we've been given influence over and say anything about Christ when there's no indignation in our heart because we don't believe an injustice has been done? But the reality is if we enter simply with indignation or anger or frustration into our marketplace, that's not enough. We also have to enter with courage. There's something about those two working together. Uh, um, uh, yes, courage. Uh, let me take a step back. But what we enter in with is not just indignation, but also compassion. Okay. So when we see people for who they truly are, because if our goal is simply to convince others of their foolishness, but we don't see the person, we will fail. One quote that I heard recently is 98%, and this is not a statistical one, 98% of what we say will either be obnoxious or cowardly if we come in only with our indignation. I think we've all been on the receiving end um, of Christians coming in and being angry and hard-pressed and really trying to convince that, you know what, you're just in the wrong space. And I know I've been there myself, not just on the receiving end, but on the giving end. 
where I've come to someone and I've gone, you know what, this sin in your life, you need to deal with it right now, and God wants you to change, but with no compassion or care for the person that I'm sharing it with. They will never get us anywhere. There's another clue that Paul gives us, and it's in his letter to the Corinthian church, and I'm busy wrapping up. But it says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I didn't come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. He says this line, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what does Paul do? Paul comes and and he brings the cross into that space, friends. And it's only at the cross that we simultaneously see a God who is holy and requires sacrifice, but also a God who is so loving that he pours that out on his own son instead of onto us. If we don't enter the marketplace with the cross firmly burned into our hearts and minds, if that is not what we carry with us into our marketplace, if we don't witness with indignation and compassion, what we say will never ring true. So what do we need to be? We need to become a people with loving jealousy, a people with holy zeal, people who think so highly of God and the other people that surround us that we will do anything to see them in each other's arms. That's who we need to be. And our hearts should be broken when this is not the case. So Tim Keller says one other thing. He says, if anyone is seen as a fanatic... They are that way, not because they are too devoted to the gospel, but because they're not devoted enough. If you understand the real gospel, it turns you into someone who's both thundering and sweet. Someone who's a fanatic, cutting people down in the name of Jesus, is not too much like Jesus. They are not enough like Jesus. They see the Jesus who says, He is Lord of heaven and earth, but not the Jesus who says, a bruised reed I will not break. I love what he's saying here. I love what he's saying because Paul comes in and he shares objectively his faith and he shares objectively the truth of the gospel. And he's coming and he's going, this is what happened. This is, this is what God did so that he could be reconciled to you and so that he could have you in his arms. But he also speaks subjectively of who is Jesus in my life? And I think once we've experienced those two things, the truth of who Jesus is and of what he's done for us, but also the truth of what that has done in our hearts and minds and in our lives, there's a shift that happens. Because then when I look on other people and they haven't found this truth and they're looking in all the wrong places, it should wreck my heart. It should wreck my heart. So my answer to you again to this question of how do I take my faith into the marketplace? It's not a question of here are the steps. It's not a question of be bombastic and just go in and, and shout the truth. It's not a question of, you know, yeah, just be nice to everybody. 
It's a question of seeing what Paul sees, seeing the idols that exist in the marketplace that you're hoping to minister in, realizing that other things have gripped the hearts of the people you find there, and realizing that your heart has to grow in compassion for the people you see because that's how we share our faith. It's, it's about caring about them. It's about loving them. It's about having a heart filled with love and a desire for them to be reconciled with Christ because without that, all we share will sound angry and bitter. So I just want to encourage us because if I had to just put in a nutshell what Paul was saying, he was effectively just saying to the people, the only way you will ever be free of idols is, is, is if your life is ravished by Jesus. And the only way we can ever effectively minister is if our life is ravished by Jesus. Christianity is an experience of truth. The truth became a person and our relationship is how the truth comes in. So I wanna encourage you all, we're gonna pray. And, and I think there's a couple of things that I want to pray for this morning. Maybe for some of you, as I was preaching, you've realized, you know what, maybe this one thing has taken a bit of a front seat in my life and has taken up some of the airtime that God should have. And then I think I'd also just want to pray for those of you that, that I, I know some of you have spoken to me already, but, but for those of you that really want to minister your faith in the spaces that God has given you, but you just don't know how. You don't know what the next step is. And I just want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you into that space. So let's just spend some time in prayer. Yes, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that you pursue us even when we are in the arms of another lover. We walk away. We embrace other things. Even as I stand here today, God, I know that there's stuff that I need to keep surrendering to you. And I just want to pray for those of us that are sitting here this morning. That that you know, you know because you know that there are idols in your life. And I want to ask that in this space, everyone's eyes are closed. If that's you, would you just almost move and, and act out putting that thing down? Just putting it down on the floor. Just taking it and putting it down. And Lord, we want to ask all of these things that people have just put down as they've taken a physical step and just taken that thing, be it tech, be it beauty, be it, it, you know, just being crazy in some areas about, you know, entertainment, whatever it is, God, sex, money, power. I pray that as they've put it down, God, would you come and sweep it away? Would you take it? And would you take your rightful place in our hearts on the throne? Would you come and take your rightful place in our hearts on the throne? We surrender that throne to you now, God. We surrender our control. 
and we declare that we want you to be the one that's driving. God, I pray that you give us the eyes that Paul had to see the idols in our workplaces, in our marketplaces, our schools, even in our families, God. I pray that you can see that where even in our family unit, wherever we find ourselves, God, that that we would just have this awareness that something has changed, something has opened up within us to be able to see the truth of where other things are stealing away your people and your love. Would you come and let us do that, God? And then where we see, God, that other people are trapped in idolatry and sin and that their hearts have been given to another, God, I pray that you will burden our hearts for them. That you will not only give us indignation, God, that it's not going to be ach shame, that it's not going to be this thing of, oh God, would you just come? But it's going to be this thing of, God, I don't want to see one more person be lost. I want them to know the truth. And God, when we do approach, when you have given us the unction, when your Holy Spirit has led us to speak, I pray that we will do so with compassion. So will you give us not only the indignation, God, but the compassion. And then God, most of all, would you guide us? Would you lead us? I want to pray for workplaces in this space this morning, God, that you will create open doors where open doors were not before. I want to pray that in the Spirit, you will start to prepare spaces and places for conversations. I want to pray, God, that where hard conversations need to be had this week because of the idols we've identified, God, you will give us the courage and the strength to do so. But we surrender to you today, God. We surrender ourselves to you and whatever it is you call us to do in terms of our witness. We praise you, we love you, and we give you our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.